the relationship between NBA players, referees, owners, and even the commissioner is not as clear as people would think. You know, to the average person or to the outsider, the commissioner is the boss who oversees everything. The owners run the teams. The players work for the team owners and the referees make sure that the games are fair. In reality, money, power, influence makes those relationships a lot less linear and a lot more complicated and all over the place sometimes. I'm on the phone with Mark Lamont Hill, a professor of media studies at Temple University and an ardent basketball fan. Mark is talking about how sport is a microcosm of society and stressing how important it is to trust those who enforce the rules. Referees are supposed to be above the fray. They're supposed to be outside of the game. They're supposed to be people who simply enforce the rules, impose the rules, play by the rules, and they draw their money simply by doing their job effectively and objectively. In reality, referees, like everyone else, they're human. Referees have egos. Referees have habits. They have vices. They make mistakes. Some of them are natural human mistakes. Some are character issues. And what we've seen over the last decade is the rise, at least in the, in the case of Donaghy, but others as well, I'm sure, who have uh, succumbed to the temptations of the world. It's shaped their decision-making on the floor, and it's undermined the legitimacy, to some extent, of the game itself, of the sport itself. There's a mantra in sports that we should never be talking about the referee after the game. We should never know the referee's name in the middle of a game, right? We shouldn't be like, oh my God, John Smith over there made another charging call. He always does that. Or, you know, Michael Jenkins, yeah, he always gets into it with, with the star player of that team. If we have the referee in mind, it's because the referee is a problem. The referee is supposed to be non-existent. And so when we look at the corruption scandals in the NBA, what we've seen is that referees have made themselves known. And they've made themselves known to our detriment by not following the rules. If the principle of society is that police are the ones who keep us safe and impose order and justice, and police are corrupt, if police don't follow the rules, then everything in society goes out of whack. Who can we trust? And similarly, if in sport, the referees aren't honest, if the referees don't play by the rules, if the referees aren't fair, then how can we trust the sport? How can we make sure that the best team won? How can we invest? How can we bet? How can we put our hearts on the line? It doesn't work if the referees don't play right. End of the game, everything on the line, who can you trust? I'm Tim Livingston, this is Whistleblower. Episode 10, what's a foul? Final seconds here in this NBA season, and that's it, it's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. It's been months since I sat down with Phil Scala. Months since Scala confirmed that the FBI believed Tim Donahue was telling the truth about the culture of the NBA. Donahue was the perfect scapegoat. When he tried to blow the whistle on the league, it was easy to brand him as a rogue referee, a criminal peddling a conspiracy theory. But after talking with Scala, I think we can drop the word theory. The conspiracy exists, and I think this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg, a first glimpse into the manipulation of sport 
and how deep it goes. But no matter how you feel about the integrity of the NBA, the show must go on. And producing the show this year was more challenging than it's ever been. A pandemic shut down the season before a spectacular team effort between the NBA front office and its players revived the season in the bubble. Then a national protest centered around social justice led to a playoff work stoppage. The NBA's influence transcended basketball and became a beacon of togetherness, teamwork, and unity. But some things stayed the same. Double technical fouls, Porzingis and Morris. That's Porzingis' second. He's been ejected. Wow. That is nothing. Yeah. That is nothing. You do, should, you're not ejected for that. I, I agree. In game one of the Mavericks Clippers series, Dallas star Kristaps Porzingis was ejected after two highly questionable technical fouls. I just think that a, a technical foul, particularly an ejection technical foul, should be a last resort. That's not a technical foul. I agree. The announcers saw it one way, but former referee Steve Javi, an ESPN rules analyst and Delaware County native, saw it another way. I do, Mike, and I really believe the officials did make the correct call here. Um, believe me, they know that he had a technical foul already, and the one thing they're trying to do is prevent the ejection. He came into this situation here in this altercation not as a peacemaker at all. He actually escalated the situation and has to be held responsible for his actions. Players know the Mavericks lost the game and ended up losing a hard-fought series. When asked about the ejection, Mavericks owner Mark Cuban declined comment. But perhaps the most bizarre officiating-related event of this year's playoffs involved referee Scott Foster and Oklahoma City point guard Chris Paul. It took place before Game 7 of the Thunder's opening round series against the Rockets. Foster and Paul have a long history. Back in 2008, Foster refed another Game 7 with Chris Paul. In that game, Paul's Hornets lost to the Spurs, and Paul was the only player in the game to foul out. That's relevant because according to ESPN's Mark Spears, Foster approached Paul before this year's Game 7 and made a point to remind Paul that he also refed that 2008 game. The Thunder lost this year's Game 7 to the Rockets, 104-102, and Paul was heartbroken. I don't know, man. It's a tough one. It's tough. Like we, we, we fought hard all year. We expected to win. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Man. So 13 years after the Donahue scandal, we're still in a place where one of the game's most senior referees can brazenly taunt a player before a Game 7 and fear no reprimand? In addition to Foster's pre-game taunt, he also made a controversial delay of game call against Paul at a critical point in the game. That don't make no sense. But, I don't know. That's crazy. He just... We could have won the game. But that situation, league know, like, they gonna find me. I said his name. Yeah, we already know the history. Chris Paul is president of the Players Union, a 10-time All-Star, one of the most respected players in the league. But when it comes to confronting a bully referee, he's powerless. Tommy. Tim, oh my God, Tim, that doesn't look like you. Dude, I need a haircut real bad. Oh my God, I wish I was there, I'd cut it. I've talked to Tommy every week throughout the podcast. Tommy began cutting hair in prison 
and now works full-time as a hairstylist at his family's salon. So what are Tim's thoughts on the podcast so far? He, he, I, I, I think he's a little pissed off, Tim. We knew that was coming though, right? I've kept in close contact with Tommy, but haven't spoken to Donahue in a while. I knew he wouldn't like parts of this story, and I want to give him some space. Let him digest the whole thing before reaching back out. He likes the fact that it's coming out about the NBA. And the thing is, I knew that this other shit was going on because Timmy told me, and I believed it, but uh, I didn't know to that extent and that it was that organized. You know what I mean, Tim? It's fucked up. And the thing that pisses me off is that uh, I know for a fact that nobody was doing what we were doing, but they were doing it at a different level. And we had one referee, and they have all of them. So after I got out of jail and went to jail, I thought, you know, I deserved it. I, I, I fucked up. But after listening to your podcast, I'm thinking, holy shit. I was like a little bit of a scapegoat here. You know, the NBA was just as bad as I was, if not worse. I knew that Tim was going to be angry about pieces of this. I'm, I know Tim well enough to know, even if it's 90% in line with the way he wants it told, that 10%, he's still going to be irked if it's, oh, yeah. if it's not 100% there. But next time you talk to him, say, well, just tell him this. We want him to tell us everything we got wrong and everything we got right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he should want to do that. There's a lot of stuff that ha- that I didn't know about, you know, went far beyond my reach. Uh, like, I didn't know about the airline thing with the referees and shit. That's uh, pretty revealing. I mean, holy shit. Like, look at the NBA gets away with all that shit, man. That was amazing about all the refs that, of course, I'm sure they, he said only one didn't cheat on their wife. Do you know who it was? Yeah. You know, the Delco guy. So I know all the other guys that he was bleeping out and I know them all. So if their wives were listening, they're they're going to (laughs) be pissed off. All right. So. What's our game plan? How are we getting Tim Donahue on episode 10? Me. I'll get him on. I'll talk to him tonight. What are you going to say to him? I'm going to say, I'm going to do it, Tim. I want you to do it with me. You know, and I like you, and I like Dougie, and and I like Donnie, too, and and Cole. And I know you guys are hustling, man. You know, and you've been good to me. So you're my friend. So I'm going to help you out. Tim Donahue has finally emerged from the shadows. He's coming back. Maybe not back to this podcast, but he is returning to officiating. Except, it's probably not what you think. That's right, boys. Tim Donahue has agreed to appear as a referee for Major League Wrestling. Pro wrestling is entertainment, Donahue told Sports Illustrated, and I always joked the NBA was a form of entertainment, and I compared it a little bit to pro wrestling behind the scenes. Unlike pro basketball, crooked referees have far more of a celebrated history in the pro wrestling realm. Donahue, who will be donning the striped official's jersey for the first time since 2007, went on to say, 
When I was growing up, I always enjoyed pro wrestling. Guys like Hulk Hogan and Ivan Putski. I thought it would be fun to get involved. And if there's a good response, who knows where it can go from here? I'm willing to do whatever I can to make the show entertaining and fun for everyone watching. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Fellas, I gotta be honest. I did not see that one coming. Tim Donahue is now a wrestling referee. This is reality. Scala told us that the NBA was this close to having their brand become like the WWF, and now everything has come full circle. Same ringleader, new circus. Jared St. Laurent is the COO of Major League Wrestling and the guy who hired Donahue. He's also a huge basketball fan, and as someone who heads a wrestling organization, has a unique point of view. The manipulation of officiating is kind of a lifelong passion of mine of just the kind of curious George type of personality and wanting to figure out how does this stuff work? If you look at the way that NBA officials have been manipulated games pre-Donaghy scandal versus post-Donaghy scandal, the techniques have completely changed because they've had to get way more careful and they also have tried to not just make it less noticeable, but late in the game, they've got these two-minute reports now, right? So the time of the game that you you kind of put your thumb on the scale has changed. And so it's harder to influence the end of the game now. And the manipulation takes place a little bit earlier because they have no choice. The Donaghy scandal was such a big thing. They had to adapt their tactics. You can't manipulate at the end of the game. It's too obvious. They got caught, right? So they kind of pick their spots, and it's usually not two quarters in a row. Uh, and it's usually times of the games where the ratings are the lowest. You know, people are paying attention at the beginning. People are paying attention at the end. A few minutes into the second quarter is where I find the most manipulation takes place in the NBA in terms of specifically screwing one team. From the 10 and a half minute mark to the seven and a half minute mark, it's kind of an innocuous time of the game, right? It's the second quarter. It's not going to get scrutinized the way you would scrutinize the end of a game. Just deliberate, deliberate manipulation. And this is the most common tactic that I find in the NBA in the post-Donaghy era. Can you talk about that parallel between wrestling and basketball? You know, the dirty little secret of sports is Every sport, at, you know, there's so much money at stake, is going to be heavily manipulated. Not as manipulated as pro wrestling. You know, pro wrestling promoters made their choice a hundred years ago that they were going to fully manipulate this thing, and and other sports took a different course. But the NBA, by far, is the easiest of the major team sports to manipulate, and here's the reason why: every single play in the NFL has holding on the line and pass interference behind the line. And those officials have to make a judgment call of what is most egregious to justify blowing the whistle. Because if you call holding on the same team literally four plays in a row, it would be so out of the ordinary. It would be so obvious. You can't do that. But in a basketball game where you could have 50 or even 60 fouls in one game and nobody bats an eye, it's so much harder to notice than other sports. And that is why basketball is a sport where the officials are by far the easiest to have manipulate the game. It happens in every sport. It's just in basketball, it's the most egregious. It's not even close. You know, as Tim always says, the NBA is closer to pro wrestling than, than people want to think. So I think he's going to be a great fit in pro wrestling. 
I've given Donahue space, and at this point, I thought he'd be eager to talk. Phil Scala backed him up. He's been, to a large extent, vindicated. But Donahue's been avoiding us, and I'm still working with Tommy to bring Timmy back on our final episode. Hey, Tommy. Timmy. Yo. And he said, he's like, what do you think I'm fucking stupid? He goes, what's wrong with you? But to me, he goes, tell Tim, if he wants to talk to me, put it in an email. <laughs> and he hung up on me. That's that's not the best, you know, for podcasts, email communication is usually not the best, most compelling way to communicate. <laughs> I know, he went fucking awful. But here's the thing. I just want to get Tim on the phone. He can talk about whatever he wants to talk about. If he just wants to say, you heard Phil Scala say it, I was right. We don't have to talk about Scott Foster. We don't have to talk about Batista. We don't have to talk about anything. Okay, all right, let me get... Okay, yeah, call, call him back, Tommy. All right, I will. The next day, Tommy called with an update from Donahue. So he wants to listen to the podcast from Scala first. Okay, and he's listened to all the episodes so far, right? Yes, he's listened to every one of them. I knew Donahue wouldn't like everything revealed in this podcast, but it's become obvious that he's more upset about what's been divulged about him than he is gratified about what we've been able to unveil about the NBA. At the beginning, I asked whether I'd remain friends with Tim Donahue. I'd like to think I don't care whether I ever talk to Tim again, but the truth is, I do. Because with all of his flaws, Tim Donahue was the scapegoat. And when his best friend, Tommy Martino, unearthed a handful of Donahue's secrets, Timmy didn't abandon Tommy. He still calls him every day and checks on Tommy's son. Tim Donahue served his time. He was affected financially. His name, once respected, became a punchline. And Donahue's not the problem. He never was. Donahue says he's learned from his mistakes, but what about the league? What, if anything, did they take away from the scandal? To help answer these questions, I caught up with Donahue's attorney, John Loro again, and talked about the future of basketball as a business. Well, one of the biggest things for me, Tim, is kind of looking at this story, not just in a historical perspective, but also what what lessons we've learned and what kind of long-term takeaways we gain from it, because doing criminal work for the last 40 years, one thing that is so apparent to me is these scandals repeat themselves time and time again. And the characters may change, personalities may be a little bit different, but the circumstances are always there. And one of the things that I've been struck by is, you know, looking at the NBA now as an institution and what it represents and what's happening in the current environment. And what I see is an organization that's run by pure greed, that only cares about money and profits, that doesn't really care about its fan base. And that, I think, can set the scene or set the stage for something like this to happen in the future. Because there is such a focus on profit. You look at how the NBA really deals with some issues, whether it's China or other issues. And it's an organization that is, in my judgment, essentially amoral, and it cannot regulate itself. It's simply focused on making money at all costs. And when you look at that in terms of 
what's happening with gambling right now. Gambling has become like a marketplace. It's an international market. It has enormous amounts of money available to it. And people are gambling, not just in the United States, but around the world. And they're gambling on NBA games currently. And then the question is, is it a transparent system? Is it a system that people can see play out fairly? Or is it a system that's really hidden behind a lot of layers of, you know, a lack of transparency? Laura's right. The NBA is still very much about money. But it's really not amoral under current Commissioner Adam Silver. Any basketball fan will tell you that the last six years of the NBA felt different. I was pretty scared about the idea of putting this podcast out six years ago. David Stern was a powerful man, and I had no clue what he would do to make sure that this story never saw the light of day. But I don't feel that way about Adam Silver. I feel that there's a chance that he might hear this and be open to a conversation. And if that's the case, it's a conversation that I'd love to have. Because the NBA has gotten better, but as Loro explains, it still has a long way to go. When you look at the circumstances of how much discretion referees have and how much the rules really allow for the manipulation of games, whether it's by the league or by a referee, I think all the circumstances that led to this scandal are still present and no one has really addressed that going forward. So your podcast really put in context a very, very powerful story. But I think we also have to look at, you know, what's going to happen in the future? And is the NBA capable of writing itself? Is the NBA capable of self-regulating? Does it have the ability to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again? Or as a matter of corporate preference, is it still engaging in the kind of conduct that Tim suggested it is? I mean, that's an open question that needs to be looked at. And right now, the, the NBA is still struggling along in a very profitable way. But is anybody taking a look at what's happening right now? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. John Loro, furthering what Scala said, went on to connect the dots and suggest that the NBA is just a small part of a very big problem. One of the things that Stern did, and I think they still do, is he really has had, and I think the league does, strong political ties. Very, very strong political ties. So when this issue developed in 2007 and 2008, there was at least initially a call for congressional hearings. That got shut down so quickly. I mean, that didn't even have a chance to get out of committee. So no government regulatory body took a look at what was happening, which was quite shocking. One thing that you'll notice in, in all big organizations in this country, all powerful organizations in this country, is that they recruit heavily from the Department of Justice, either directly or indirectly through the major law firms that represent them. And that, that may be the biggest area of concern of all time. What Laura is saying is true. Big organizations do this. 
And just like we saw with the NBA, this is how cover-ups work. Corporations do what they have to do to make a profit, and if they do something illegal or unethical, they're prepared to get caught. They have no hesitation to break the law because for them, there is no law. They make the rules. It's why Stern hired Lawrence Pedowitz, a former government attorney, to run the NBA's internal investigation. It's why Stern tried to recruit Phil Scala. These are the relationships that can make something as big as the NBA betting scandal. Fade to black. So how do we fix a system that allows this to happen? And specifically for basketball, how do we ensure that the game doesn't fall victim to money, power, and politics? And again, you know, from our standpoint, even the most powerful law enforcement uh, agency in the United States didn't take a complete look at it. So what does that tell you? There, there are powerful forces out there, in my judgment, that, that don't want the NBA to be regulated under any circumstances. And certainly the league doesn't either. So the question is, who's going to look after the game to ensure that it's being played fairly? And at this point, no one is. And look how many people in the public are affected by paying hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of dollars to, to see a fair sporting event. And are they getting that? Are they getting their money's worth? Or are they getting something else? That's what we need to know. And then the other question, does anybody really care? You know, maybe the public is fine with the NBA as sort of professional wrestling. After everything we've learned on this journey, I can say with certainty that I do care. As a fan, I do care whether the game is played with integrity. I've always contended that nobody asked Tim Donahue the right questions back when the scandal broke. And maybe I didn't ask him the right questions either. But we can't continue to make this about Tim Donahue. This is about the NBA. And it's time that they answer the tough questions about this scandal, because maybe then we can get the most out of this game. Again, here's Mark Lamont Hill. If you look even in outside of sport today, what people are fighting for is justice. And what does justice look like? You know, when, when I advocate for justice, I often use sports as the metaphor. I say we want a world where the playing field is level, the goals are clear, the rules are public, and the referees are honest. And the idea is, is that sport represents the perfect space, the ideal space for human achievement to be fairly measured. The idea is that sports is the place where the best person wins because everybody's playing by the rules. And who enforces the rules? In society, it's supposed to be the state. That means the courts, the judges, the lawyers. And of course, on the street, the argument is that the police are supposed to impose the rules, enforce the rules, uh, oversee daily life. The police are the ones who are supposed to make sure everything is okay. That's the idea they tell us. And in sport, it's the referees. The referees are supposed to be the ones who tell us what's right and wrong. They're the ones who are supposed to be the arbiters of good and bad. They're the ones who are supposed to make sure that the best person wins, that fairness prevails, that talent prevails. The idea is that the referee should never be in the way. You know, when we talk about bad police, people are quick to throw out the idea that it's just a few bad apples. Because the idea of the bad apple allows us to blame individuals and not systems. We can believe that as long as we can pick out those bad apples, we can save the barrel. The barrel's not the problem. The barrel being society. 
the barrel being the system. Well, it's the same thing in the NBA. If we say, oh, there's a rogue referee here, there's a bad actor there, we can just toss them out and the system works, that lets us off the hook. It lets the league off the hook. It lets the system off the hook. But if we were to ask more fundamental questions about the role that these arbiters play in society, we might get somewhere deeper, somewhere harder to, to wrestle with, but somewhere better. And with the police, if we ask the question, what role do we want police to play in society? What are the reasons that make uh, certain people get arrested, certain people get beaten, certain people get overcharged? How does this happen? What gets us there? Getting at that thing might help us fix the problem, realizing that the, that the problem is the barrel itself, not a particular apple in it. Similarly, in the NBA, we have to ask ourselves not just why did this ref make a bad choice? We have to ask ourselves, what are the systems and structures in place that make it easy to make a bad choice, that incentivize the bad choice, and that help people hide the bad choice? Until we get at that, we're going to continue to have these kinds of controversies and scandals in sports. Jimmy Baba Batista, who took the scheme from the small time to the big leagues, elected not to speak on the podcast. He told us repeatedly that if we spoke to Sean Patrick Griffin, we got his side of the story. Tommy Martino, the middleman, lives in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, with his wife, Ashley, and their son, Tommy Jr. Tommy's very proud of his book, Inside Game, which you can buy on Amazon. Tim Donahue is a father to four daughters and lives in Sarasota, Florida. Donahue has expressed remorse about the role he played in the scandal, but I'm confident he's sitting on a few more secrets and has more of a story to tell. What was your game in high school? Were you a point guard? Yeah. Pass first? Always pass first. Oh, that's... A year ago in Sarasota, on an outdoor court by his townhouse, I played horse with Tim Donahue. It was the first time he'd held a ball in over a decade. Got it. Woo, we got a game. When was the last time basketball was innocent for you? When was it just a game? I don't know. I don't remember the last time I even shot a basketball. Really? Yeah. We'll go bank. For me, basketball used to be innocent. It was my favorite thing to do. Favorite thing to watch. Favorite thing to dream about. And then, I learned that Santa Claus isn't real. That the game isn't always fair. If you complain about a bad call as a kid, your coach tells you to suck it up. Puts a hand on your shoulder, looks you in the eye, and assures you that referees don't decide the game. Well, it turns out they do. The system needs a complete overhaul. Referees can't work for the NBA. They need to be employed by a separate entity, one that doesn't tie their livelihoods to TV ratings. Referees who abuse their power, who would do something as callous and brash as taunting a player before one of the biggest games of that player's life, need to be disciplined. How is that even a question? If the NBA wants us, the fans, the ones who buy tickets and jerseys and bobbleheads to keep buying those things. If they want us to watch their games and keep the TV money rolling in. If they want our kids to fall in love with the sport after decades of controversy and scandal. If the NBA wants to prove its games are a true athletic competition, not just entertainment. If they want to prove that they really care about the integrity of the game then the referees cannot be above the law. The playing field needs to be even. There needs to be trust in the system because until then, it's not basketball. It's wrestling.
from myself and everyone who poured their soul into the making of this podcast. Thank you for listening. We'd like to extend a special thanks to Jim Schneider, Chris Rizzo, David Schubick, Will Janowitz, Megan Black, David and Mark Monroe, Michael Foster, John Donfeld, Chip and Tina Magner, and my parents, Lee and Linda. Also, a huge thank you to Bonzi Wells and Rashid Wallace. Check out their podcast, Let's Get Technical, wherever you get your podcasts. Whistleblower is a production of Tenderfoot TV and Whistleblower Media in association with Cadence 13. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV. Myself, Doug Matic, and Cole Ocasio are the starting lineup for Whistleblower Media. Our lead producer is Alex Vespasted. Alex, you're amazing. Co-producers are Mason Lindsay, Matt Keller, and Paul Kusheri. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Cooper Skinner. Additional mixing by Devin Johnson. Original music is by Makeup and Vanity Set. Cover design and illustration by Mr. Soul. Everyone I just named did amazing work on this project. Thank you again. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and Grace Royer at UTA, Ryan Nord in the Nord Group, Beck Media and Marketing, Station 16, Paul Anderson and Nick Pinella of Workhouse Media, Max Hacker, the teams at Tenderfoot TV and Cadence 13, and to Michael Imperioli, check out his podcast, Talking Sopranos, wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the podcast, visit whistleblowerpod.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, five stars, preferably, and review. Thanks.